uh, with some thoughts here on evangelism. Next week, I'll conclude with some final thoughts on evangelism. But I'd like to start here in John chapter 6 and verse number 63 as we consider some things to consider as witnesses or evangelists, some things that we need to consider as witnesses or evangelists. Uh, John chapter 6, verse number 63, an important text here found in the Bible. We'll read this along with John chapter 16 here in just a moment. But uh, when it comes to evangelizing, there's an important work in evangelism that may be often overlooked by some, but certainly is not overlooked by the Scriptures. And that's the work of the Spirit in evangelism. And so we're going to talk about some things concerning this and also some pointers here tonight. John chapter 6 and verse number 63, the Bible said, It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. It's important for us to see that first part, it is the spirit that quickeneth. In other words, the spirit is the only thing that can give life. John chapter 16, let's turn over there, John 16. John 16, verse number 7 through verse number 11. Again, the work of the spirit when it comes to evangelism. We haven't been talking about this silent work in a sense. But it's an important work. It's done behind the scenes. It's done by God himself. John chapter 16 and verse number 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of the world is judged. Let's look at verse 12 and 13. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whosoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. This evening, I want to consider some concluding thoughts on evangelism, and I want to just consider some pointers for uh, witnesses or fishermen here tonight. Let's consider these thoughts from the Word of God. Father, thank you again for your word here tonight. I do ask that you would just help us, Lord, to consider some things that uh, the Bible teaches us and uh, would help us with when it comes to dealing with people and, and leading them to Christ or leading them towards Christ. Again, as we look at these thoughts, help us again to be able to rightly divide the truth and be able to understand um, some things that we as witnesses or evangelists need to understand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, from these first two texts that we looked at here tonight, we want to see, first of all, as we turn back to John chapter 6, verse number 63, that salvation is a work of the spirit is a work of the spirit it is not the work of the witness to a large degree and i say that because the bible says this in john 6 verse 63 it says it is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh profiteth nothing the words that i speak unto you they are spirit and they are life and so it is the word and it is god's spirit that do the work of God when it comes to the salvation of the soul. Yes, the witness is involved. Yes, in a sense, the witness 
is like unto a midwife that assists in the birth of a child. Again, the midwife assists in the birth of the child. She does nothing really there but to calm a lot of times that person who is giving birth. It is the spirit that quickeneth that gives life, and so it is with the salvation of the soul. Let's turn to John chapter 1. Yes, a witness, a helper, a fisher of men, a fisherwoman, if you would call her that, uh, may be involved with bringing someone towards Jesus Christ, but it is the spirit that has to uh, quicken the spirit, give life to the spirit, transform the spirit, work on the person's life and heart as they come to salvation. Notice here again in John chapter 1, verse number 12, it says, But as many as received them, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. If anyone believes on his name, it will not be the work of, the, uh, of blood, maybe a relative or a friend, not the will of the flesh, not yourself. It's not going to be the will of men. It's not going to be some special, slick, salesman-type witness. It's going to be the work of God. And so when it comes to the salvation of souls, there might be a soul winner, in a sense, involved. But we see, again, the work is really of God. Let's turn to John chapter 3, and verse number 5 and verse number 6. Again, when it comes to evangelism, we depend on the Holy Spirit to enlighten. We depend on the Holy Spirit to awaken. We depend on the Holy Spirit to alert the spirit, uh, the person, to their need for salvation. John chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, the Bible says, And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So someone needs to be born, in a sense, in two ways. They're born of the flesh. They have a fleshly birth. They're born of the water talks about there in verse number five you cannot enter the kingdom of god it says there but also you need to be born of the spirit so spirit births people in the kingdom of god and so the spirit is involved with the word of god to bring a person to salvation yes as we see with philip and the eunuch there was someone needed to guide but there's someone needed to convert and convince and reprove Let's turn over to the other text. We looked at John chapter 16 and verse number 8. Salvation can come through a work of the Holy Spirit. It will not come as a result of the work of the flesh or a work, as, as some may look at it, as the work of a, a soul-winning type person. It comes by the Spirit of God working with the Word of God to bring about the birth of someone into the family of God. John 16, verse number 8. John 16, verse number 8, talks about the Comforter here. The Comforter is another name for the Holy Spirit. And it talks about the Comforter coming, and he comes to be a Comforter. But it also says there in verse 8, And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. And uh, John 16 talks here about the word reprove. Let's look at that. First of all, the word reprove means to convince one of a fault. 
And so it's the Holy Spirit that actually convinces a sinner of a fault. And, uh, and the truth is, a young person or any person is convinced by the Holy Spirit that he or she personally needs to be saved. You could convince someone, maybe, with your language or your demeanor or your words concerning their need of salvation, but you need actually the Spirit of God to do that work if it is to result in a birth. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Now the Spirit of God is going to be in this world and the, and the Spirit of God is going to work in people's lives and it's going to be working, I believe, in the hearts of people seeking the truth. And it, is our, and it is our goal as witnesses to lay forth the facts of the Word of God, but it is the Spirit's God to deal with the heart directly concerning their need for salvation. Luke chapter 3 here, at verse number 18 and uh, verse number 19, talking of John the Baptist, and with many other things in his exhortation, preached he unto the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done. Now we're involved with the reproving, and so as we see here John the Baptist. We expose sin in the, in the sinner's life, or the seeker's life, but yet the Holy Spirit comes along and works in their life too. Salvation comes from a work of the Spirit on the person's life. Salvation comes as they are reproved by the Spirit and also reproved by us. In other words, their sin is exposed by us and it's exposed by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit of God. And so we see these needful when it comes to salvation. And so some practical pointers that we need to consider when it comes to dealing with someone in leading them to the Lord. First of all, in leading someone to the Lord, I'm talking about you're taking them through a Bible study course, you're taken through a series of passages of scriptures, and you're seeking to maybe lead them to the Lord, I want us to consider, first of all, two things we need to consider when dealing with a person. First of all, we need to seek if there's conviction involved. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. We need to seek if there's conviction involved with their salvation experience. And there's some people that will act, actually say that there's no need for conviction. There's no need for people to be convinced by God of the guilt they have before God. But yet that is the Spirit's work, to work on hearts. We'll be back in John in just a moment here, but look at Acts chapter 2, verse number 37. As Peter preached the word of God, we see something happen. Uh, to those that heard it. Let's pick up in verse number 37. Acts chapter 2, verse number 37. Well, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we see here in the word of God? We see what we call conviction. Somebody wanting to know what to do. These people feel uncomfortable. They feel guilty before God because of what? Well, first of all, the word of God. Look at verse number 36. Therefore, let the house of Israel know surely that God hath made this same Jesus, whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. He laid 
their guiltiness before them. And we see it reached to their hearts. And the result was what we call conviction, which is an uncomfortable feeling of guilt before God. Conviction can happen before salvation, can happen after salvation, where someone feels guilty before God. And they may express that guilt as we see here they do in Acts chapter 2, verse number 37. It says, men and brethren, what shall we do? They know something's wrong. They, they are concerned about it, and they're wondering what to do. Let's consider here some thoughts on Holy Spirit conviction. Let's turn to John chapter 16, back to one of the two texts we started with here tonight. John chapter 16. If there's conviction, it will, it will come as a result of hearing about three different things. Three different things that the Holy Spirit will bring to the mind of those that he is working on or that we are working on. We see here in John chapter 16, verse number 8, three things that the Holy Spirit will do. John chapter 16, verse number 8, it says, And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. You do all those things. You do three things in particular. You convict of sin. So someone, again, that maybe you're dealing with when it comes to salvation, when you're dealing with them about salvation and they see themselves as a sinner, they will be confronted concerning their sin. They will actually normally, at some point, feel guilty about their sin. They'll feel bad about their sin. They'll be uncomfortable about their sin. They may even see, as they did on the day of Pentecost, what can I do with this? What shall I do with this? Again, with dealing with a person and seeing them uh, being dealt with by the Holy Spirit of God, you'll see that they'll be convicted or convinced, uncomfortable, feeling guilty about their sin. But also you'll see, as it says here in this passage of Scripture, it talks about of righteousness. Now, when we talk about righteousness, there's only one who is truly righteous, that's God. And that they'll be reproved of their righteousness being one that falls far short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one, Romans chapter 3 says. The Holy Spirit revealed that they themselves are not righteous. They lack God's righteousness. And there's only one God that is righteous. And they'll be convinced by the Spirit of God, not necessarily convinced by you only, but by the Spirit of God that they are unrighteous. And God is righteous. But the Spirit also will be involved with, thirdly here, convicting them and convincing them of judgment. Of judgment. Verse 11, it says, of judgment, because the prince of the world is judged. The prince of the world, who is that prince of the world? That's Satan. He will be judged. He will be cast in the lake of fire. He will face the judgment of hell. And so when we're looking and to see if someone, again, is being dealt with when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we see that they'll be, again, convinced of these things by the spirit of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And if someone, again, if you're dealing with them on the subject of salvation, is not getting it, so to speak, you'll, under, you'll see that they, they will not be convinced of these things, but they may just be curious inquisitive, maybe really not even that interested. 
Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. I remember dealing with someone, it was a long time ago, and dealing with them was salvation, and they came to me, and uh, I was help, trying to help them along when it comes to salvation, and uh, as we went through the scriptures and that sort of thing, after a while, they're like, well, how long is this going to take anyways? I thought to myself, well, it may take a while. And so I said, it may take a while. Do you have something more important to do? He said, no, no, I'm fine. Uh, just continue. And, uh, and so we continued. And as we went along, again, it was the same kind of situation there. They were basically saying, you know, you know when are we going to be done here? When are we going to be done? I, I wanted them to understand they need to understand salvation before they can be saved. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 37, there needs to be a thorough pricking of the heart or convincing of the heart. Uh, again, sort, uh, concerning their salvation, they need to be concerned about their soul, concerned about their future, concerned about judgment of God, the righteousness of God, and the sin problem that they have in their life. I may not all understand these things perfectly, but there's going to be this general convincing of being guilty before God. Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it says, And when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and the rest of the uh, brethren, What shall we do? And what did they do? They explained that they needed to be saved through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, there's no reason to deal with people unless they're being dealt with really at a heart level. That's not saying that you shouldn't spend some time showing them the scripture. Things can change actually as you're showing them the scripture. Let's turn to Acts chapter 5 and verse number 33. Acts chapter 5 verse 33. The Holy Spirit is involved with evangelism. He is the key partner, if you would, when it comes to evangelism. You may be the worker, the visible one, but the Holy Spirit there is doing the work if anyone's going to do a work on the heart there. And we see this again here in Acts chapter 5 and verse number 33. It says, And when they heard that, they were cut to their heart, and they took counsel to slay him. Slay them. A conviction can lead to anger. And we see that sometimes with people that are under conviction. They can get angry they can become agitated. They can go short, short, short on, on different subjects because they're guilty before God. But our job as a witness, if you turn back to John chapter 3 there, is to take the truths of the Word of God, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and bring that to the person who's lost, whoever it might be, and show them from the Scriptures these truths. And depend on the Holy Spirit to work through his word, which he will do. And uh, it says here in Acts chapter 3, verse 18, it says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. We need the Spirit to convince them that these things are true, and true for them personally. And so when dealing with people, we need to look, first of all, for conviction. I just take a little break here. What if someone's just curious? What do we do with them? Well, we still show them all that we can and all that they're willing to look at when it comes to the Bible. Some of those curious can become someone who's convicted. And again, we need to give them the intellectual material that they need to be saved. That is, at least a basic understanding of the gospel. 
Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Another element we need to be looking for when dealing with someone when it comes to salvation is comprehension. Genuine comprehension. That is, it's like they understand some things concerning themselves, concerning God, concerning salvation, revealed to them by the Holy Spirit as we're talking to them concerning the truth or as the Word of God is being shared with them. We look for genuine comprehension because without comprehension of salvation, there's no salvation. We see that in Matthew 16 here. Let's pick up there, Matthew 16 and verse number 15. It says here, Matthew 16, verse 15, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And he said unto thee, that Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so we see here in the Bible that, that God reveals things to people. Let's turn to John chapter 6. God reveals things to people. Yes, the word is used, but the Holy Spirit of God is there as the comforter, as also a reprover to reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And as they put together the pieces of God's salvation story, we'll see that through the work of the Spirit that they are being taught, not just by us, but taught especially of God. We see this here in John chapter 6 and uh, verse number 44. No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I'll raise him up the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Every man therefore hath heard and hath learned of the Father, cometh unto me. It's written the prophets, verse 45, and they shall be all taught of God. And so when we teach, the Spirit is also that other teacher, that reinforcing teacher, that behind-the-scenes teacher that gives them the pan of salvation that touches their heart and leads to comprehension. For without comprehension, they can't be saved. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 13. There needs to be a comprehension of the gospel. That is something, again, that the Word of God gives them, you know, being taught of the Scriptures, about the plan of salvation, about the reason that Jesus came, etc. Uh, this is given to them, as we explain, a ba basic plan of salvation or extensive plan of salvation or series of lessons on salvation through maybe multiple studies or whatever it might be that might bring them towards salvation. We're looking for conviction. We're looking for con comprehension. Uh, Matthew 13, verse number 19, the Bible says, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catches away that which is sown in his heart. This is he that received this seed by the wayside. And so someone might say, well, understanding, that's something that just sticks with them or is always there. But it talks about here the seed being stolen away. Uh, verse number 23, it says, but he that received the seed on good ground is he that 
heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. And so dealing with someone when it comes to salvation, we're looking for two general things there. If they're being convicted of God and convinced of God, and also if they comprehend what it means to be saved. If you ask them there, maybe towards the end of your gospel presentation, you know, hey, you know, where would you go if you died? And they say, well, of course I'd go to heaven. Well, you might ask them, well, why would you go to heaven? I thought you said you were lost. I thought you needed to be saved. That's why we're talking about salvation with you. Uh, it may be that they got saved along the way, but it may be that they just really don't get it. And so you may have to continue showing them some things about salvation. But let me say this. Secondly, after dealing with souls, we not only need to look at uh, that which happens before salvation, but that which happens after salvation. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There are many people uh, that may lead someone to Jesus Christ, and they want to know, you know, I've led someone to Jesus Christ, or they made a profession of faith, and how do I know it's, if it's genuine? And so I'll give you two pointers here to consider when it comes to whether a salvation experience is genuine. Is a salvation experience genuine? The only way we can know if it's genuine is by two different factors. First of all, the factor of true conversion. A factor of true conversion. This happens in every salvation experience. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Are there signs of conversion? Are they a new creature? Are they a changed person? Are they different on the inside? A new person is not the old person. A new person is a different person. A converted person is a changed person. A converted person has new desires, and they will be different, certainly in some ways. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. You say, what kind of ways? Well, first of all, they can be uh, different when it comes to their, their desire for the Word of God. Now, if a baby's born, and it's a physical baby is born, if a baby's born and it doesn't want to drink milk, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. But we see here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 2, when the evidence is, if you would, of conversion, if someone is indeed a new creature, the Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse number 1, it says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, Desire the sin sealed milk of the word that they may grow thereby. And so how do you know if there's conversion? Well, first of all, you see them lay aside some things. There'll be some differences in, in the way they do things, the way they think. They lay aside some things. It mentions malice, guile, hypocrisy, evings, evil speaking. You'll see some, some evidence of some spiritual desire there, but also some spiritual change there. They'll lay aside some things. Things will be different in their life. You see also there a desire for some uh, of the word of God. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby. And so if they don't have a desire for the word of God, that's not a good indication that they're someone who's been converted. But if they do have a desire for the word of God, 
that certainly shows it is most likely possible and probable that they too are genuinely converted. But I want to mention here, if you turn over to Romans chapter 7, there's another evidence that I believe again of true conversion that you'll see in those that have been saved by grace, and that is they will have spiritual struggles. Let's turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Everybody that's saved has spiritual struggles. You know, John the Baptist doubted Jesus. That's a spiritual struggle. The disciples lacked faith in Jesus. The disciples left Jesus. They did things that they didn't plan to do. Peter never thought he'd deny the Lord. But he did deny the Lord as a believer. Someone says, if someone denies the Lord as a believer, they're lost. No, they might be going through a spiritual struggle, a spiritual test, some spiritual trials. But you'll see this love for the Word of God. You'll see this transformation that takes place in their life. But you also see what I call spiritual struggles. Anybody that's truly saved will have some internal and external struggles with the flesh and the spirit. We see this in Romans chapter 7 and verse number 15. We're not looking for perfection in a child. We're not looking for anything but growth in a child. We're looking for uh, new desires, new likes, different hates. These will be a part of the child of God's life. Romans chapter 7, let's begin in verse number 15. Spiritual struggles. Some of you might say, I don't have any struggles in the, in the Christian life. I just do that which is right all the time and this sort of thing and that sort of thing. If any man uh, talk about he doesn't sin, the Bible says he's a liar there in 1 John. And so that's, cer- that's certainly not true in their life. But Romans chapter 7, verse 15, it says this, For that which I do, I allow not. For that which I would, that I do not. But what... I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that it is in me. That is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would... I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. You could put off the side, that's a spiritual struggle. For the good that I do, I would not, and the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that which I would not, it is not no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. So when you're trying to do good, you'll find, again, there'll be things that oppose you. There'll be uh, maybe enticements that come before you. It says, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. See, there's that desire to do God's word and to do law's law, uh, law. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my, wretched, in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of sin, but uh, serve the law of God, sorry, but with the flesh, the law of sin. 
And so when you see someone, again, is converted, they're going to have some struggles, and they're going to be concerned about their life that they live for Jesus Christ. They have new loves and new hates, but they also have an old man to deal with. And they have the flesh to deal with. And they have sin to deal with. And they have temptations to deal with. And they have fears to deal with. And all kinds of things to deal with. The lust of the flesh to deal with. And you see, as we see here with Paul, that he had spiritual struggles. Verse 19, for the good that I do, that I would do, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Verse number 11, I find then a law that when I do, would do good, evil is present with me. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. So you see this converted person that delights in the things of God, but has struggles with his flesh. The children of God, new converted children of God, are going to have fights with the flesh. They'll have troubles in the flesh. But you see there a different man. Going back to Romans chapter 6, verse number 17, the Bible says this, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you obeyed from that heart that form of doctrine which is delivered unto you, being made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the firmity of the flesh. For as you have yielded yourself servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, Onto iniquity, even so now. He's talking to believers now. Instead of yielding yourself to uncleanness and iniquity and sin and all those, now yield yourself, servants, to righteousness and unto holiness. For when you, when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things which you are now ashamed? You know, when someone's converted, they might have a past that they're ashamed of, things that they're ashamed of. The desire to live a new life, but sometimes it's a struggle. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Someone says, I wonder if someone say, well, do they have these evidences of conversion? Is there some kind of real change that takes place? Is there growth? Are they spiritual people that have a desire to please the Lord and to walk with the Lord? Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Do they desire the sincere milk of the word to grow thereby? I mean, if they have a struggle with the word of God and the things of God and don't want to follow the things of God, that's not conversion. They're still unconverted. Look at, secondly, when it comes to dealing with someone who, again, has made a profession of faith, I look for, secondly, in them commitment. Or you could call it continuance. First Thessalonians chapter 1 here, verse number 9 it says, for they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. A life of idolatry to a life of service to God. We see a change of commitment. One serving idolatry and the lust of the flesh and now living for God. We look for commitment we look for nature that is along the lines of a sheep. Let's turn to John chapter 10. Do they have the character now of being a sheep? 
By being a sheep, that doesn't mean a sheep doesn't ever go astray, but a sheep normally follows the shepherd. Now, they could be distracted by false teachers, false prophets, etc., and led away, as the Bible talks about even Christians being led away. And again, it talks about Christians sometimes being in a, in a position where they, they're overtaken in a fault. The Bible says, ye that are spiritual, restore such a one. And so Christians can fall and falter. But are they committed to God? Do they want to follow God? John chapter 10, verse number 26. It says, but ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than them all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Notice the words of Jesus here in verse 27, especially where it says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Sheep follow. Sheep follow. They follow the shepherd. They follow the scriptures. They want to follow God. They are followers of God. Look for commitment. Are they committed to God or are they committed to something else? Have they gone back to idols? Are they people that are tripped up temporarily? Or are they followers of God? Let's turn to 1 John chapter 2. There's a lot of things we can look at uh, when it comes to continuance and commitment. Uh, the Bible talks about if, if you continue in my word, in the book of John, then are you my disciples indeed. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. There will be this continuance. This doesn't mean that they never stray. All sheep go astray. We all uh, turn everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Uh, we're still sheep. We're not perfect sheep. There's a perfect shepherd. And we are sheep. You see, in the Bible, several stray. David strayed as a believer. Samson strayed as a believer. You go on the list and see many Christians stray. 1 John chapter 2, in verse number 19, we see here in, in uh, 1 John, the Bible says this, They went out from us, but have they, uh, and they, but they were not all of us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt continued with us. But they went out that they may be, might be manifest that they were not of us. Now what's this talking about? This is people that go back to the world. Let's go back here and just look at this a little bit. Verse 14. I've written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of, of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, hereby we do know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. 
but they went out that it may be manifest that they were not all of us. Again, you'll find, again, people whose true colors do show in time. Again, in dealing with someone as far as their salvation experience, it's not a matter of whether they have a profession or faith or not, but it's whether they have the signs of conversion or not. Do they have spiritual struggles? Is their desire to do that which is good and depart from that which is evil? Do they have a desire for the sincere milk of the word that they might grow thereby? Do they follow the voice of the shepherd? And are they continuing to follow the voice of the shepherd and the scriptures in their life? In dealing with someone, someone certainly can backslide. I'm not getting into that here tonight. But I do want to mention here, you'll see conversion and continuance and commitment in a believer. Let's turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 9. When you've seen those at Thessalonica come to salvation, they moved from one position to another spiritually. They went from a position where they were under idolatry, and it doesn't mean someone has to be in a position of idolatry, but uh, covetousness is idolatry. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 9, it says, For they themselves show us what manner of entry in we had unto you, how that they turned to God from idols, uh, and how, how they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Again, you see salvation there. They turned to God from idols. But also in the next chapter, if we read on here, in verse 12, it says of chapter 2, it says that you walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as the word of truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in them that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. So I want you to notice those words in verse number 14, but ye brethren became followers of the churches of God. They became followers of the church of Christ. They became followers of God followers of truth. Let's turn to John chapter 6 and we'll close here today. Dealing with souls, we need to be careful before salvation, before trying to lead someone Jesus Christ, that we see some kind of evidence of conviction and see some evidence of comprehension. It is the Spirit that does this kind of a work. John chapter 6 verse 63, it says, It is the Spirit that quickeneth the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so before salvation, we look for conviction and com comprehension. After salvation, we look for conversion. Is there change? Do they have the earmarks maybe of a baby struggling in the Christian life, uh, struggling sometimes to grow and that sort of, but are they spiritual in nature? And do they have commitment? Is there a commitment that they are committed and uh, I'm going to continue to follow Jesus. All right, some thoughts here from the Word of God. Let's close as we consider some thoughts on evangelism and uh, some things we need to do with them before salvation and also need to examine our converts after salvation.